From the Grand Reading Room in the Nashville Public Library, this is Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist, presented by the Metro Human Relations Commission. Hi, my name is Dewana Wade and I am with Salama Urban Ministries. Very happy to be here with you all today at Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's being filmed in the Grand Reading Room of the Nashville Public Library. And I'm joined here by my esteemed colleagues who I'm going to allow to introduce themselves. And we'll start here on my left. Hi, my name is Lydia McMillan. I'm a first year student at Belmont. My name is Michaela Mullins and I am a eighth grader at Rose Park Middle Magnet School. My name is Joshua Boyd. I'm a junior at Hillsborough High School. And I have to tell you, they're the smartest people in the room this morning. And I'm grateful that you all have joined me today to discuss the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kendi. And we are discussing chapter one, chapter number one, just talking about definitions of um, anti-racism. And we are going to, um, I'm excited because you all are young people in the community. I think the majority of the panels engage with adults. And I think it's a really interesting opportunity to have young people talking about the book. So, y'all ready? You excited? Let's do it. So, tell me, as we read the first chapter of the book, and I think I wanna start with you, Lydia. Of course. Um, there were definitions of racist and anti-racist. Tell me what you thought about those. Well, they really put things into perspective because I never really thought of it that way. When I thought of racism, I thought of someone who, who felt as if they were superior to, uh, to another race. But the way that they had put it, that Ibram had put it in the first chapter, I believe, was if you're racist, that means you uh, support racist ideologies that don't support racial equity. What about the anti-racist part? Anti-racist, I had not actually never heard of anti-racist before reading this book. And he's, what he said to be an anti-racist means that you support, just support policies that support racial equity. So I also wanna hear from you, Michaela and Josh, because I grew up thinking of a racist as a person, a mean person who thought poorly of me. But then when I was reading the definition in the book and the learnings that I've had lately, an anti-racist gives me an opportunity to actually be involved in the fight. Whereas previously, if a person was racist, I would think it was their job to do the work. How do you all feel about you all potentially being an anti-racist? Let's start with you, Michaela. Um, as a, well, as a African-American girl, you know, being an anti-racist, well, I'll start with the conversation that I've had with my peers is, can a black person be racist? That's a great question. Can a black person be racist? I believe a black person can be racist. Um, well, how, how it's stated in the book where um, racist is you're supporting a racist idea or, um, you know, you can, being an, I'm sorry, being Take an anti-racist, you're like, you're against, you know, racist things, you're against racist ideas, racist practices, and. Um, 
How does that show up for an eighth grader? What do you mean, how does it? So you're against it. Everybody's against racism, right? No. No? Not. So what does it look like for an eighth grader to be an anti-racist? You don't think you're over somebody just because, you know, you have certain things or you believe certain things. You don't think, you don't act like, you don't think or act like, you know, you're just above everybody or above a certain race or above a certain group of people. Do you have those conversations with your friends at Rose Park? Do you? Awesome. Glad to hear it. Joshua. Anti-racism for a male, a black male in Nashville, high school student. Tell me what you think. Anti-racism, um, I mean, it's a lot of stuff that's going on like in this world. But like for me as a male, being an anti-racist and trying to, conduct myself as being equal and fair to everybody else is just, you gotta watch yourself. Like, watch what you say, watch what you think. It's always been like, I always known my identity since I was younger from my parents. And it's like, you can't judge a book by its cover. Like, I always relate back to that little saying because it relates so much to racism. Like, you can't judge anybody without actually knowing them just by the face of them, just by the looks of them. And like, just judgment is a key to all like racism to me. And for me being the man I am, or young man I am, I just try to equal things out, be in between like lines, stand my ground, but like not with racism, I'm, I'm totally against racism, like all the way against it, but like equaling out, like try and level things out between like every color and every race, just try to, I talk to everybody the same, like normal people. Like I practice, I'm in CORE, which is like a, a student-led association that we try to end like school things like uh, people getting judged by their culture, their religion, and try to focus on how we can learn better, basically. So <laughs> I'm just trying to practice being a better version of myself. So that's a really good point, because when we think about racists, I don't believe that racists or people who support racist policy consider themselves to not be a good person. Right. And so Joshua said he's trying to make sure that in his conversations with CORE and um, the things that he's doing at work, I mean, at school and Michaela at school and you as a college student, all of us think that we're doing OK. And so what does it look like if you are around a conversation um, and you overhear someone say something that has a racist undertone? What do you do? You want to answer that, Josh? Yeah, sure. Um, well, again, about CORE, we learned this in CORE. We got some restorative circles that we do. But first, if I seen someone, uh, I overhear someone talking in a conversation and they say something like kind of like off key, I would approach them, not aggressively, just like, hey, do you, do you know how uh, that, that might feel to the other person that you're saying to? Or 
you ever think about how you're hurting their feelings or get their feelings in consideration? And I just approach it from there and I don't know what they would say, so. So that's a pretty powerful statement. Have you, has either you, have either you, Lydia or Michaela, done something like that where you overheard something and it may have been somebody that you know and a statement was made that was a little concerning to you? Have you ever confronted something like that? Um, yeah, in high school, going to a majority um, white high school, there were a lot of instances where people just made comments where they were just ignorant to really what's going on. And I can't really blame them because they don't know any better. Um, but I've been in a few instances and I've approached some, but I came off as the angry, aggressive black woman. Hmm. And it's hard when, um, well, it was hard not to be hurt or upset when overhearing something like that, especially from your peers, who I thought in this time and age were woke. Remember, like, I really didn't think I would have to deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis, really in-my-face type issues. Um, so I have approached some people, and, and it just didn't go the best. They kind of just looked at me like, uh, you kind of proved my point type things. So I don't really know another way to approach those um, situations in person. Okay, well, that's a good point. I'll bet there are some suggestions in the book. Michaela, what about you? Uh, well, first off, I wanna say racism is not just black and white. You can, a black person can be racist to an Egyptian, somebody from Egyptian descent, or, you know, it's not just a black or like a white person saying slurs, racial slurs to a black person. It can be for different races. And like at my school, it's a pretty diverse community, um, but there is some ignorance, like, you know, why are you so dark? Why are you so light? You know, you just, things that seem, that are like, you know, what, like a, um, like something that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it really is, you know, and you just say it and you don't really think about it and you're just like, okay. And you know, when you get called on, called out on it, it's like, what do you mean? You know, everybody else says it, you might even say it once in a while. And, um, but I've, like I've myself personally, I've experienced like people just saying weird, weird small things. And it's just like, you know, you didn't have to say it. You know? you know, it's very interesting. It wasn't in the book. So in the book, there are some definitions talking about racial policies and racial inequity and things of that nature. But what you're talking about are microaggressions. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Doesn't seem like you've been called the N word or anything like that. But it's just this niggling little um, hurtful thing that people say about you. And when I was growing up, not too long ago, uh, when I was growing up, 
those, we didn't have a name for it. We didn't call it a microaggression. It was just in our day to day, we kind of went through life and we never said anything about it. So the fact that you, Josh, and you, Michaela, and you, Lydia, at your ages, actually go to someone and say, you know, that was a little hurtful. Even if sometimes we're termed the angry black woman, because I think all of the young black women on this stage, myself included in that young, um, all of the women on this stage have probably been considered the angry black woman, which is also another trope that has to do with white supremacy and racism. And so the fact that you all have taken the step to actually say something to someone else, um, saying, you know, that's not the right thing to do, and this is why. This is hurtful because, for me, that's anti-racist behavior. And until very recently, anti-racism, anti-racism was not necessarily um, something that we talked about, right? You were either racist or not racist. And so in the book, Kendi talks about being, not being racist is not enough, that we have to go that extra step to be anti-racist. And so Michaela brings up a very interesting point to me um, because for years, again, I'm relatively young, but as I was growing up, um, there was and is a belief that black people could not be racist. Right? Have, have you all heard that? Have you all felt that or seen that or heard your parents say it? Black people can't be racist because there is the lack of power to make structural change through laws, through gerrymandering, through all of those kinds of things. So black people can be prejudiced, black people can, be, can discriminate, discriminate against others, but to be racist was impossible for black people. And so according to Kendi, that's not the case. And, and Michaela believes, along with Kendi, that black folks can be racist. I think I saw you nodding your head or shaking your head, Josh, that uh, I think black people can be racist too. And as I am thinking about racist and not racist, I am also thinking about anti-racist in that because I think we all do have some tendencies to have implicit biases, right? Josh said earlier, we shouldn't judge a book by its cover or by how it looks and things of that nature. And that sounds good, but it's also really hard not to do. Right? So as we think about anti-racist behavior, and because our chapter is only about definitions, but as we think about anti-racist behavior, and I think one of you mentioned all the things that are going on in the world right now and what woke, um, how we think people are woke and what we think people should know, especially based on social media and the, um, the things that you can find on the internet. What is it that if you lived in an anti-racist world and everybody was truly anti-racist, what would you think adults need to know in order to be able to do that? So your parents, your grandparents, especially folks again like me that grew up thinking that black people couldn't be racist, what is it that you wish adults would do? How do you wish adults would show up as anti-racist? I think because so much stuff that's been racist in our past and in history books, everybody just needs to forget and forgive. Just like, for, forget and forgive is the key to like being in one in unison, a divided nation under God. But really, I don't know what, I can't really imagine how, uh, whole the whole world being anti-racist would be there always has to be someone I, I i really don't know how to imagine that when i live in a world like this so 
I would say it would be like just fr more friendly, I guess. Um, it's just too many things that's going on right now for everybody to be as one in the whole and loving each other as they should. So. Yeah, interesting. Michaela? Um, when Josh was talking about not judging somebody um, by, you know, not just, just not judging somebody, um, I would think that, you know, if there was a, like an anti-racist world somewhere, you know, judging is just a part I think of human nature. I think we all, you know, you see somebody on the street with baggy clothes, chains, and they're just, you know, pants are down low and stuff. You just automatically like assume something. And so I think what would help if people would acknowledge the fact that they are judged, you know, that, that it is a part, you know, of everyday life. Everybody judges you know, everybody judges somebody. Um, and so I think, you know, acknowledging what you did was wrong could really help the world, you know, today. Awesome, thank you. Lydia? Um, I really can't imagine us living in an anti-racist society. Um, just the way the human brain is wired, it just, I can't imagine it, but if we were today to try to develop an anti-racist society, I think the generation before us, it would be hard to get them on board because I feel like they're just kind of, uh, my time is over. I can't really make any change. It can't really make a difference. That's for the, the, the next generation, they can fix it. And I feel like if I saw more invigorated um, people from the generation before me, the the kids will be more motivated to to want to change as well. And then I know adults know that we're as we as children are very impressionable. But I know like for me personally, my my parents have passed on some some bias onto me not knowing. Like I've I was in the car as, as a young person. My mom she looked out the window, oh that's some white people stuff. So I go to school, well, that's some white people stuff. And all my friends were together, oh, that's some white people stuff. And I'm developing these biases that I didn't know I had just from my, my parents. So I think those are the things that I would need to see from them if we were living in a, or trying to develop an anti-racist society. I really appreciate you. Were you want to say, did you want to say something, Josh? I low-key got a question. You forgot the question? No, I got a question. Oh, go ahead. It's actually two, but I'm gonna do one. Um, do you think because of the last generation, like it just died down of them trying to fight out racism? Do you think they just gave up or just like, they just fell into the ways of, back into the old ways because nobody's really like trying to forcefully fight and like get racism out the city? So I think that's a really good question. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, I was gonna, I you want to answer? Asking us, or you can answer. I was asking answer. everybody. Um, every generation has its own battles, so just because I mean I don't want to feel like I don't want to say that they have have given up because they have fought for and they're we're here where we are at because of what they did. 
So do you think like <laughs> they gave up because like there's still racism here. You know, we can't like, we didn't get all the racism out of people, but we got a lot of more people on board to fight it out. But it died down after a while. So y'all know I have an opinion. <laughs> but I, you ask a really good question because the civil rights movement fighting against Jim Crow, fighting against um, segregation and getting acts, the Voting Rights Act and all of those things into play took a lot of work, took a lot of energy. And they, those movements were led by um, really strong people. And at a certain point, I believe that we gained a lot of, we, not just black folks, not just um, folks who are not the majority population, but we as a society in America gained a lot of things. Um, and it became, um, there seemed to be more equality. And so where there seems to be more equality, then there doesn't seem to have to be as much of a fight, a, a struggle, a very, um, outward appearance of it, right? People marching in the streets like they did in the 60s and early 70s and like it's happening now. And so as things have continued to change and we elected a black president, a number of people thought that when we elected a black president, we were in a post-racial society. And so the things that you all are talking about where we grow up with implicit biases, we don't know that we're getting them from the previous generations, but we are. And we as parents are passing those down to you young people. And it has happened, not just with black folks, oh, that's some white people stuff, but also with white folks, that's some black people stuff. And so just like you all have learned it, we have learned it and it perpetuates, which brings us to why a book like the one we are reading, how to be an anti-racist is so very important because you all have each said, I try to make sure that I am thinking about it. I try to make sure that I am doing the right thing. I try to make sure that I confront people, not necessarily in an aggressive way, but I confront people with it because it's going to take all of us to look at ourselves and our biases and recognize that, oh, that's not really right. I need to change my thinking because that's not white people stuff. That's just people stuff, right? We have to change our own thinking and show up as anti-racist in the way that we show up in school, in church, in community, when we're hanging out with our friends and making new friends who are different than us. Um, and so we show up that way and potentially it rubs off on our peers, potentially it rubs off on our parents. Potentially we are having conversations with folks because like I, I am one of the folks who believes that racism isn't possible for black folk because of the power structure piece. Um, and so I get to interrogate that. I get to think about that. I get to talk about that. You had a second question, Joshua? And then we're gonna go to wrapping up. No? Y'all see how quick this went? We have lots more to talk about, don't we? Absolutely. So I have one last question for you. Um, and I've asked um, it in a, in a way. After we leave here today, well, two questions. Who plans to read the rest of the book? Awesome, good, me too. We haven't read the whole book yet. But as we think about, as we leave here today, it's 8.30 on Monday morning. What are you going to do today, this week, to show up as an anti-racist? Well, first, I want to tell my friends about this book. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of kind of spread it, because I feel like it's a, it was a really good, well, it is a really good piece of um, information that really puts a lot of things in, into 
into perspective because I didn't think I was a racist, but from reading this book, I might be a racist. So <laughs> I feel like that'll be one of the first steps I take to being anti-racist. Awesome. Um, well, I know the last, like one of the last things I remember him saying is to be an anti, well, to strive to be an anti-racist. Um, you have to have self-awareness, you know, and you have to check yourself and you have to constantly think, am I, what I'm doing, is that going to hurt somebody else to benefit me or, you know, am I just, you know, being the everyday, you know, everyday kid, you know? So I think self-awareness and just trying to check myself on what I say and be careful of what I say is a good practice to strive to being anti-racist. Awesome, thank you. Joshua? Well, I'm actually gonna tell Cor when I get out of here about this book. And actually, I feel like this book can actually help us to make a better school community, fix more of the racism and cultural religion problems at our school. And then we can focus on like how to make the population of the school better in a way, so, and then I'm gonna, well, actually I'm gonna get myself right first and read the rest of the book and then tell them about it, so, yeah. Awesome, well, I wanna thank you all for being here today at Just Conversations to discuss chapter one of How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kendi, and I want to thank you all for joining us for the discussion today. For more information and more episodes, you can go to www justconversations.org and the next chapter we'll be discussing is the chapter number two on dueling consciousness thanks just conversations is presented by the metro nashville human relations commission executive producers sarah imran mark etherly barbara gunlardi and bob Farisee. Directed by Cooper Smith and produced by Alex Bennett, Caroline Pace, and Cooper Smith. Special thanks to the Nashville Public Library, Jenna Schmidt, and Mark Crowder. For more information and more episodes, visit JustConversations.org. Follow us on Twitter at JustConversate, on Instagram at JustConversaciones, or on Facebook at JustConversate. 